0: Hi, I'm John.
1: And I'm Cecilia.
0: Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks.
1: So I saw a really super cool movie the other day. Uh, it kept popping up all over the place on Facebook. It was popping up on Google when I wasn't even asking for it. It showed up on Amazon Prime, so I had to watch it. It's called A House in Between. And it's about this this woman in Mississippi who had her dream house built, but it, quickly turned into not so much of a dream house. I'm not going to say nightmare, but it was enough to make her leave and have some investigators come in. We are super fortunate today to have one of those investigators here with us, willing to talk a little bit about the movie, a little bit about his experiences, a little bit about his background, I hope. (laughs) He's got a very unique background. Uh, I'd like to welcome Brad Cooney to the show today. Brad, welcome.
2: Hey, man. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for having me. How are
1: you doing today?
2: Doing good. Just burning, you know, midnight oil every day. There's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm doing well. I'm feeling healthy and um, trying to, to not get the coronavirus, and uh, just like every other American, but things are well, man. Just, just busy. Busy, busy. Mm-hmm.
1: Dude, I got to say, I, I've seen you bounce all over social media. You are, I don't know where you get this energy from. You're just super active. Oh, my gosh. Can I bottle <laughs> some of that energy? <laughs> By this time in the week, I don't have any.
2: I just have all these irons in the fire all the time. I've been like that for years, though, man. Just keep going. Keep rolling with it.
1: I can actually see that about you. I see that energy about you. Uh, I actually um, was doing a little research about your background and came across something really interesting. I was asking John the other day, you live in Mississippi, but you don't have that accent. Right. But you sound really familiar to me. And it turns out you're not from Mississippi, are you?
2: <laughs> no, no, I was, I was born and raised in in New York, uh, about 39 miles north of the Bronx, um, in in Lower Putnam, Upper Westchester mm-hmm. County area. So I ended up down here because I have some family, my mother's side, that's from this state. So that's how I got to Mississippi.
1: Well, this crazy cat's from Brooklyn, <laughs> born and nice. raised.
0: Yes. Wow. And we lived together the first. The first eight years of our relationship together in Long Island, and I worked in the city, in the, the oh, tri-state right. area.
1: And anytime time yeah. I run across a fellow New Yorker, I just have to smile, because we're down in, <laughs> in Austin, Texas now, and New Yorkers are few and yeah. far between. Yeah. And very misunderstood.
2: <laughs> I actually lived in, in Texas, too, for 10 years.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What part? I don't know. I loved it there. I lived in um, a little town called Shirts, Texas. It's just, just north oh, yeah. of San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That that's uh, supposed to be a pretty uh, active haunted area, actually.
2: Texas or or the Shirts?
1: The Shirts, San Antonio Oh, area. really? Yeah.
2: Wow. You see, I wasn't really into the paranormal back then, but I wouldn't doubt it. There's a lot of haunted areas, old
0: areas there yep
1: and that's true. You did not start out as a paranormal investigator. That's right. You had a very interesting career before that. Can you talk a little bit about what you did before that?
2: Uh, which chapter? Because there's three or four of them. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear. how far back are we going.
1: You are so fascinating. I am willing to to go as far back as you want. I know you're in the military.
2: Yep, four years in the Navy. Yeah, I was stationed in in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. I was on the on the on the USS Truitt. It's a fast frigate uh, ship. And um basically, my job was to track Russian submarines, which is pretty cool oh, that's neat now this is back now this is back in the mid eighties when the Cold War was still a thing, and there was a lot of uh cat and mouse games with the Russian Navy and the American Navy and oh yeah, um so we did a lot of patrolling off of the uh, East Coast and even you know was deployed over into the Middle East and the Mediterranean um so got out of the Navy and I ended up in Texas for as we mentioned a few minutes ago, and, and uh, stayed there about 10 years. But yeah, I have a background in podcasts and in boxing. I, had a, I founded a boxing website that, that really did well. Um, we had 12
0: writers that, that worked for me. What what time period was that?
2: The uh, boxing website was, I shut the website down about seven years ago because social media happened. That's what happened. Cause previous to that, before like Facebook and, and Twitter really took off big, we were making money through advertising um, with boxing promoters would pay us to promote their upcoming cards. Yeah. Uh, they would, you know, pay a banner space on the websites. And so when social media happened, that kind of killed us as far as revenue because promoters were like, well, why should we pay you guys? uh, money when we can just amass our own followings on our own, own, own social media. So that kind of, I kind of lost my fire because it just got too difficult to keep writers. And I don't blame them. You know, who wants to stick around and write for free? You know? So the challenge of keeping a good writer staff, um, it just got a little bit too much. So I just kind of put, put it down and we closed up the website. Uh, but it was a nice run because we, we, you know, we had press credentials to all the big fights, uh, ringside seats and that's a big uh, deal interviews. The so, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was, it was a great run Had a lot of fun. I rubbed elbows with a lot of people, met a lot of big name fighters became friends with a lot of them. Cool. Um, personally friends, Manny Pacquiao to this day. And Roy Jones jr is a good friend of mine. Um, but then once that stopped, there was a little void in my life. You know, I didn't know. I no, I no longer had the website, the boxing website. I'll always be a boxing fan. And I've actually published a couple books, too, in boxing. But once I I shut down the website, I was just kind of looking for something to do. And that's kind of when I picked up my podcast, started interviewing. And I actually used a lot of my contacts that I made throughout my boxing journalist career. Um, And that helped me to get pretty big-name guests, like, right out of the gate when I first started the podcast show. So I had a little bit of an advantage as opposed to somebody just starting out. Um, I already had a pretty good Rolodex full of people. So I was able to transition from the boxing coverage to a, to a podcast, and I just mixed up the genre. I had so many different guests from different genres.
1: I, w- I was going to ask you about that. How long did you do the interviews at the website and all that? How long would you say you, you did that?
2: Probably close to 10 years, close to 10 years. Um, it's not a little bit more. The whole boxing chapter of my life was about a little over 10 years. I know back in 2005, I promoted a fight, too. Um, actually, oh, wow. you know the, there's a, um, a, a fighter, he's called Butterbean. He's the king of the four rounders. I used to call him. Um, he's a he big, big guy, probably like 400 pound guy. He was in some movies. He was with Johnny Knoxville in a movie called Jackass. Yep. Um, and he's on, he was, he was on the WWE WrestleMania a couple of times, but he was my main event. And I actually had Tanya Harding, the figure skater as, as, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> He was actually on the card, too, as like a celebrity boxing match, and I promoted that, and we, we 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 did that at the Jackson Coliseum here in Mississippi, and that was in 2005. It was pretty close to the same year I published the boxing books. Um, so, yeah, I had a pretty cool run in the, in the boxing world.
1: What what got you into all that?
2: So I grew up in New York, as, as you know, and my dad was a big boxing fan, so I used to watch boxing matches with my dad on Wild Words of Sports, which tells you how old I am.
0: <laughs> uh, The Agony of Defeat.
2: Right. You know, that's back before we had TV remotes when you had to actually get up and actually physically change the channel on the TV. That's why most people had children. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Um, But my dad was a big fight fan, so I got into the the fights, you know, boxing matches with him, and um, I was a huge boxing fan in the military still. And when I got out of the Navy, um, I continued to be a boxing fan. And then when I moved to Mississippi in, like, 1999... I read an article about a fighter named Jerry Cooney, who's a distant cousin of ours, we believe. And Jerry Cooney fought um, Larry Holmes for the heavyweight title back in the 80s. And I saw an, ar- an interview with him on, uh, on the internet. This is a long time ago. And the person that interviewed him was a guy named Brad Berkwit. And so I reached out to him to see if I can get an, a picture that I had already of Jerry Cooney signed. He, I knew he knew him personally. And so I developed a friendship with, with that guy. I'll make it a long story short, too. And ended up uh, writing for, I ended up starting writing for boxing websites. And I grew a big readership. And I actually must have did pretty good because I ended up writing for some of the real big websites, the fightnews.coms and the boxing And that transitioned from then I started writing for, for, um, Boxing newsstand magazines, Boxing Digest, Digest magazine, and Premier Round magazine, and I just took it from there and just just kept growing my boxing career. My, my, when I say boxing career, I never fought my boxing journalistic career. Would be more would be more accurate. But it just and it just grew, and then we defined the website. And uh, I actually wrote for a couple boxing websites, and a lot of times the boxing website owners they didn't really treat their writers very good. And I was writing for one where this guy who was running the website, he wasn't a very, ni- a very nice guy. And one day I said, you know what, I can actually do this. I can actually, I can, I can found my own boxing website and just work for myself. And I'll treat writers a lot better than this guy does. So that was my initial idea to start my own boxing website.
1: You're like a super go-getter, dude. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna rub on your elbow and try and get some of that mojo this way.
0: <laughs> so I hear you, man.
1: Who was your favorite boxing interview? Can I ask that?
2: Man, there's been so many. I mean, literally thousands. Um, oh wow! I can tell you a couple of quick, funny ones. So, like Evander Holyfield is a—he's a four-time heavyweight champion of the world. Oh yeah, sure. And actually, I'm pretty good friends with Evander to this day as well. But one time, I interviewed him, and I had him on the phone. And like, when you're a boxing scribe. You, you get interviews, like, however you can get them, on the fly. <laughs> I, I, I used to walk around with my digital recorder in my pocket at all times because I never knew who I was going to run into. <laughs> you have to be at the ready. Yeah. So I, so, so, um, I called up Holyfield one time because uh, a huge boxing story just broke, and I wanted to get Evander's thoughts on this big story that broke out. And he said, yeah, I'm a little bit busy, but we can get one in real quick. So he's driving his car while, he, while he's talking to me, and I'm doing the interview. And all of a sudden I'm like I'm like three questions into the interview and he, he says, Hold oh, Brad, hold on a second. So I'm like, all right, so I'm holding and all of a sudden I hear, Yeah, hello, I need a number three with a no pickles, <laughs> a six piece chicken McNugget and a diet coke. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like I'm like, holy crap, here I am doing a podcast. This guy puts me and he's ordering his food like on live during a live podcast, a live interview. So I thought that was pretty funny.
0: That is funny. Um,
2: but there's been a lot of them. Larry Holmes, the former heavyweight champ, he's a real fun guy to talk to. Um, Manny Pacquiao. See, me and Manny Pacquiao have a pretty unique relationship because when Manny Manny Pacquiao is an eight division world champion. I'm not sure if y'all know who he is, but he's huge. So one of the most famous fighters of all time. Um, he's won world titles in eight different weight classes. Goes to show wow. you how good he is. Oh yeah, that's that's not easy. I
1: don't know if it's been done before.
2: No, and he's actually became he became a senator in the Philippines. He's from the Philippines, and now he's a senator in the Philippines. And he'll probably run for president in the next five or six years. I wouldn't doubt, and he'll probably win. He's a humanitarian. He's a really good guy. But when Manny Pacquiao first came here to the States from the Philippines, he didn't speak a lick of English. And I was good friends with Freddie Roach, who who ended up being his trainer. Um, And Freddie's at a gym in Hollywood. I used to fly out to Los Angeles all the time, covering fights. That's when I had my boxing website. And I just happened to get to know Manny when he first came to the States, but he needed a translator. So me and Manny kind of grew this relationship because I used to interview him all the time. And little by little, each time I interviewed him, his English got a little bit better and a little bit better, and then after a while he no longer needed a translator and we were able to do it, you know, without a translator. And um so I became I became really good friends with Manny um over the years. So he's he was a guy I really enjoyed covering in, in, in my boxing journalistic career. It was probably Pacquiao's my favorite.
1: You've done thousands and thousands of, of boxing interviews. I'm I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to make the connection here. Were you were you sitting around one day and said, Hey, I've got a recorder in my pocket anyway. <laughs> Let, let's go to a haunted house.
2: Oh, are you talking about how I made the transition from boxing to to paranormal?
1: Yeah. That that's that's uh, an unusual leap.
2: I got into the paranormal uh field by accident. I was I was home minding my business and the TV was on in the background and I also I heard a local news segment talk about a haunted location in Mississippi. And so I swung around because I've always been, you know, I've always been interested in in paranormal and Bigfoot, UFOs. I'm kind of a nerdy guy that way. I've always been into that kind of that kind of thing. So when I heard the TV uh, station doing the local um, segment on a haunted location, it grabbed my attention. And then I saw where it said Rankin County, Mississippi. Well, I live in Rankin County, so I knew it was really close. So there was a girl named Erin who's in the
0: movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, she was in this in the news segment talking about this haunted location. This is way before we decided to do a documentary. This is before I was even involved. Uh, just a little a a channel 16 news guy named Darren Dito did a segment with Alice and and a few others did but anyway so I found on Facebook I found Erin the girl I saw in the news segment that was with Alice and I reached out to her and told her I'd be really interested in coming down to the home and checking it out so she's the one that connected me with Alice and so I drove down there because it's only like 15-20 minute drive from my house so I drove there and my very first day in the house had some experiences that I couldn't explain, so I got hooked, so that's that I mean, I just haven't looked back as far as that anything kind of else goes
1: Is it unusual for a southern town like that to be so open to what was going on in that house it It's just how it came across watching that movie
2: well well, keep in mind that the the people not a lot of people knew about it. Remember in the film Alice was reluctant to really really mm-hmm. tell a lot of people about the house as you know because she was worried that um some people would not take it very well. So really uh, you know we were investigating that house for years before a lot of people knew. Like, like we had some you know friends, the neighbors, there were some people that knew there was something going on, but it didn't it wasn't really mainstream um until the film came out, to be honest with you. I mean, other than like, like our, our circle of people, you know, that knew about it. So, the, really, the town really was mostly kind of oblivious to what was going on.
1: How did it end up on the news
2: then? Yeah, this this was, um, don't forget that I'm talking about way before I got involved. Mm-hmm. Alice got on a, you know, and, and she, she decided she wanted to call in John Bullard. John Bullard was there a lot, a lot many years before I got there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean there, there was there was the news was the news stations were out of Jackson, you know, out of the state capital, Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. So there were people that like you know that heard about it, but it wasn't like really big and like everyone's mind like it is now, of course. So yeah, I mean it's a lot of small towns in Mississippi and people just kind of minded business. Again, some people knew about it, but it wasn't a huge a huge thing. Like everybody was tripping about it, like nothing like that.
1: I, I give a lot of a lot of kudos to Alice's courage to come forward with it. I know a lot of people sure, in, in even absolutely. bigger cities wouldn't say a word; they would just deal with it. Or try, or try to deal with it.
2: Yeah, she felt a lot better about it once John got involved, and he was actually able to document some of the things that Alice had experienced. So once she had some validation, she felt a lot better about people knowing. You know, she was pretty scared. I mean, she had those two episodes. She talks about the lights. She talks about which was the reason why she didn't right. want to stand there by herself anymore. Um, I have myself in all the years that I've been investigating the house I've never experienced anything like that um, but John had one moment as you saw in the film where he had a little something like that but that's what we're trying to figure out is like what's going on with them lights and so yeah she she felt better once John came in validated what she was claiming so people didn't think she was crazy
1: no I, I found that with uh, people in general they they need that validation to know that they're not alone that what they're seeing is is what's happening you know having somebody else come in and and say hey you know i saw those lights go off or hey i saw that door open is huge for them right i think that's part of what being an investigator is all about we can't always fix the problems but if if we can at least assure them that they're not going off the deep end i think that helps a lot
2: 100 percent, very true I,
1: i know we don't want to talk about spoilers so I'm trying really yep. hard not to ask you specific <laughs> questions because <laughs> there's some right. things I really want to ask you yep. about, but I can't. Hard not to. Um, are there experiences in the house that were not in the documentary that you can talk about?
2: Sure. I mean, I, there's 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 things that happened in the house, um, you know, years before anybody with film cameras came in. Um one of the reasons, well, the big reason why we why we decided to. Um, get a DVR system and, and, and put cameras in every room in the house except for the bathrooms was because there would be days where nobody would be in the home for, you know, a week at a time, and Alice would go in there one day and she would find things in the middle of the floor, like strange things, like stuff that was on the mantle the night before, um, or, you know, just stuff that just just didn't belong, you know what I mean? Like a, she had a lot of these little little trinkets she collects. She, she, Alice travels a lot, so she'll get these little souvenirs and little animal figures, yeah. little elephants or pigs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she'll have, like, a bunch of them on windowsills. Or she'll, she'll have some of them up on the mantle. And she would come in there, and, and then, not, after not being there for, for several days, and it would be a little elephant, character, little trinket that she got, like, in the middle of the living room floor. You know, it's like, well, how the hell is that thing? How, you know, how did that end up there? <laughs> right. And I walked them in there one day, I walked in there one day, and it was a little, little little pig trinket, little trinket of a pig. And it was, like, right when I walked in the front door, it was, like, right there, like, like maybe five or six inches away from the little welcome mat. And it scared the crap out of me. I thought it was a damn rat or something, man. And I, in there, I kind of <laughs> freaking jumped back. I was like, what the freak is that? Right. And it was just this little trinket. So I was like, you know what, man? Me and Alex got talking, and John got talking. We're like, look, man, we, we need to get, like, let's just wire this house up. And let the cameras roll twenty four seven and see what we can come up with. And man, I mean that that system paid for itself real quick because we got all kinds of stuff. We saw things falling all shelves.
0: Was that DVR uh, hard- hardwired? You had to string wires all up and down back to the back to the base unit. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, you had to string wire. We had to tape the wires down
2: and okay. no one trips over them. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, a night owl. I think it's, I think the system's called night owl. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, yeah so we, we we got everything wired up and we we started capturing things you know doors opening for no reason and the lights coming on and off and um just I mean it's amazing what we saw when nobody was in there you know things moving um
1: were you able to get like EVPs or anything like that
2: yeah there, there was uh there was a time when there, a buddy of mine was um if you if you remember in the film when <laughs> when my cell phone footage of the the big knock sounds upstairs and we actually got the gun out of the truck because we thought there was an intruder yeah. upstairs, like for real. Me me, and him, we, uh, I lost my train of thought. Tell me your your question right before that.
1: <laughs> my my question was, have you, did you catch any EVPs?
2: Right. So him and his, his uh, Donnie, the guy who I was with that night, him and his wife Amanda were in there one night and they just left a digital recorder running in the home without them in there for hours and when they came back, there was this weird. There was like music on it, like you can hear faint music, like old, like old music. Um, so that's an EVP that happened when when they were getting. I've I've left uh, digital recorders in there um, also, and and picked up some EVPs. It's, it's a pretty EVP active house. Um, I've had some very. Um, some really cool direct response EVPs that I really I don't want to get into specifics on what what they said here and now but definitely EVPs a lot of them in the house
1: so what was the first experience you had when you walked in the very first time you walked in
2: yep very first time I walked in Alice showed me around the house and the bedroom on the first floor on the right hand side usually has a strange energy about it I get a different feel when I walk in there all the time but we were in that room and I saw these light anomalies, and I'm not talking about through a through a phone, you know, or through a video camera. I'm seeing with my own eyeballs, there was these light anomalies that just kind of like danced around on the floor in there. Enough to where, you know, usually when you see something, it's like usually in a peripheral vision or something that streaks really fast. You know what I'm saying? It's like, right. so this one, these, I was able to actually, my eyes were able to actually get a fix on them. And like with the tree through my eyes for like three seconds, and they and they they disappeared. Wow. That's unusual uh, enough to where we. Could, it, it's very unusual. There's enough to, enough time where I can actually point at it. So, look at that. Look, what the hell's that? Um, and then we had you know the the um, equipment failure. Um,
0: my cell phone <laughs> froze up. Right. Um, battery drain stuff. That seems to be very common.
2: Yeah, very common. Within within 10 minutes of me, of my first time in that house, within 10 minutes.
1: But nothing hostile, right?
2: No, nope. Never had any kind of dark energy, any kind of, you know. And that's one thing when I do these interviews, especially when I do like radio, FM radio interviews or TV interviews, I, I'm really, really... Um, it's important to me to...
0: to to make
2: sure that the listeners or the watchers of the interview understand that um, there's a big difference between spirit activity and demonic activity, because so many times people will make the leap from, you know, oh, it's haunted. There's demons in there. You better get holy watering and, and and bless the house. And you know, there's so many people that make that ridiculous leap. And if they would just do some research, they would they would see that. Demons were never people, and they they were just a completely separate thing, just nothing to do with ghosts. Um, So, yeah, nothing like that in there ever. We've had some aggressive-sounding EVPs, some mean-sounding EVPs, but never anything
0: that, like, you know, was threatening, like, physically threatening or any kind of, you know. No scratching or poking or concussions? Right, or, like, massive temperature drops. Where you have like steam coming out of your mouth, like, like you see in the exorcist and stuff like that. None of that crap.
1: <laughs> We've been out quite a bit and the the temperature drops and things like that I've not experienced.
0: Well very little. I actually
2: have I actually have I actually have one time and this is up in upstate New York I did.
1: Yeah, but that's upstate New York, it's cold.
2: <laughs> no, no, this was but this was in the summertime actually i had a really cool cold spot in the myrtles plantation in louisiana one time oh cool me and my my friend cammy's daughter cammy was a girl who dated who i i dated cammy's uh best friend when i was in the navy so how long i've known her and so i went down to visit cammy in louisiana a couple of years ago and her daughter's like 19 or 20 at the time maybe a little bit older and me and her were walking. and No, no, no granted, this is Louisiana in, in, in the summertime. Uh, hot. 100 degrees, like 80% humidity. It's just miserable. Yep. And we were walking a good 50 yards from the main house, the plantation house. And, we we're in fact, we were admiring the, um, the, you know, like the hanging moss, the old, you know, the old trees that had the moss coming down from them. It's very pretty southern trees. We were walking, and it felt, you know, like if, if you're walking— outside of a Walmart store or a department store and the doors open up and that cool air. Oh control. yes. Yeah. That's what we felt. But we were so far from the house. I mean, in the house is even that air conditioned anyway, but it was just it was out of nowhere. this cold. And we both, as a matter of fact, she grabbed my wrist and she looked at me and she goes, did you feel that? I was like, Oh, hell yeah. I was, hell yeah. I felt that. I mean, it was really weird. So really the only time other than when I was growing up in New York, I felt it once. But yeah, it's a rare thing, but I, I've experienced it twice. Cool.
1: But not in the uh, Mississippi house? No.
2: Nope, i never had a – now, we have had the, um, the, the eddy, the EDI, because you know, that measures temperature spikes mm. and drops. Um, we have had that go off a few times, temperature drops, but not so much to where we actually felt the air temperature change. The equipment picked up some drops, but I've never actually felt – temperature drops with the exception of the one bedroom in her house and the mississippi house which the film's filmed after in the house in between the back right bedroom can sometimes be colder than the rest of the house but i'm not sure if that's just a different insulation or i've never really been able to prove one way or the other if it's paranormal because of that
1: have you guys used a thermal cam in there
2: Oh, yeah, many times.
1: Has it shown the fluctuation? I mean, I know you're talking about that room. I'm just wondering about the walls and the insulation, like you said.
2: Yeah, I, I do base readings all the time. I've been, I've been in that house so many times, I know exactly what the base readings are um, and where what's warm spots are normal. But one time, um, me and Sabrina were in there, and she felt a cold um, sensation on her left side of her face, which I did actually um, capture on Thermal Cam, and it did register a colder um, it registered blue, you
0: know, so yeah. I kind of validated what you're feeling. So that was pretty cool. I um, I forgot about that. That's a lot more uh, focused when someone feels it on, on a region of their body in a mm-hmm. certain side or area, and then yeah. especially when you can capture it with the instruments. Yeah, it's great when you can actually validate something with equipment. With equipment, yeah. I love that. Yeah.
2: Somebody asked me in another interview one time, what's my favorite equipment to use? And my my favorite equipment to use is really basic stuff that just catches raw data. Like digital recorder, just catching you know clean air EVP's. I'm not talking about spirit box. I don't like spirit box. I'm talking about EVP to catch like real good EVP's with a digital recorder. And I like the millimeter and I like I like um the Eddie because of you know the, the vibrations and it. the new one measures barometric barometric pressure drops or raises and and Vibrations and things like that, um, so yeah, I, I like.
0: And I, you know, the little FLIR camera is good. A the little thermal FLIR camera, you can use that with your phone. Yeah, those are great. That's what we use. We use the iOS version on uh, on the uh, the iPad. Fastest iPad we have. <laughs> it doesn't do too well on the yeah. older, slower Minis and stuff like that. Yeah. But on a a good, solid, modern iPad, it's flawless.
2: But I tell you what, the, the FLIR for the money is really. Really worth it. Mm -hmm. It's really worth it. It's a great device and it's not that pricey. Um, I mean it's you know, it's not you know, it's not ten bucks either, but you know what I'm saying, you can get a FLIR, you
0: know, and it's not gonna it's not gonna break the bank. Nope. And it's a very, very good tool to use. Yeah, I
1: think that's John's favorite tool to use is the FLIR.
0: That and my old EMF. Yeah, one of my favorite too.
1: And his his ginormous EMF. Yeah. (laughs) I like the digital recorder the best. I always carry one in my I got one in my pocket and like Three sitting on the table. and
2: Yeah, this recorder, like I said, that's one of my favorite. This because because this captures raw data. um I tell you, I'm not big on the K2 meter at all. K2 meters, people need to throw those in the garbage. There's just too many things that can
0: contaminate those. Cell phones set them off. Thank you. Yes, thank you for saying that. We have found the exact same thing, and we concur. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody with a garage opener next next door can trigger them damn things. Yep. I mean, they're just they're just too easily
2: manipulated by other um, other devices, any electronic cell phones. I mean, you get on, you if you, if you have a K two meter and you and you log onto your phone, and you get on Facebook. Yes. I think them things go berserk. Yeah, yeah. It is ridiculous. yeah.
1: I like to try different equipment to rate them, kind of see, well, this one re- works really well here. Or this one's a piece of garbage. So we have a lot of little yeah. doodads like that. And the K2 meter stays in the case. And there is a... That's
0: good. A, <laughs> it's a good place for it. <laughs> a, did
1: we, did, did, exactly. we bought, when my youngest was uh, 12, 13, 14, something like that young, uh, she we bought her an EMF meter that was at the time, cheap, although now it's not. It's it's clear plastic, and it's got an orange top and an orange bottom. It's kind of rounded. I don't know what brand or what it's called or whatever. That thing is the biggest piece of crap, and I see it everywhere on Investigators. Yeah. Yes,
0: yes. It's very commonly used. Crap. We see it on TV. Uh, we've gone to on tours with groups and stuff like that, and a bunch of people bring those along I with them. I want
1: slap it out of their hands and say, don't waste your money. Yeah. I mean, when we bought it, it was $17. I expected it to be a piece of crap. But it was seven. Now it's like, like 40 or something. Yeah. It's like some ridiculous price. But if you take a step, it bounces.
2: Yep. I'm also not big on the Spirit Box either because really a Spirit Box, all it is is it's a radio receiver. It's just a radio receiver. It picks up radio stations and it just scans frequencies. It's almost like if you take your... Remember the old cars, you had a car stereo, and you take your and hand you hit in the seek. knob, and you whip it to the left real quick, and the, the, the dial's going to flip, you know, it's going to whip to the right, to the left. Right. And it's going to pick up a bunch of, that's
0: all That's, that's all the spirit
2: box is doing.
0: Remember the high-end stereo systems, like like living room, yeah. home stereos, they had that yeah. real, you could, like, momentum would continue spinning it. So, like, you spun it to right. the right, and it would, like, go three-quarters of the way up the dial before it finally stopped by itself. Stop. That's what it's doing, yeah. That's the same concept the spirit box doing. So when people say they're hearing
2: EVPs and voices, no, you're not. You're hearing DJs and radio stations. Yeah, little and weather people snippets. Of, yeah, just little, <laughs> yeah, little clips. snippets. Exactly. Yeah. Little snippets. Exactly.
1: I, I am on the fence with the spirit box. It is way too loud for me. It like really hurts my ears, even when we keep it as low as we can. And I do mm-hmm. question. John, John can tell you, I do question everything that comes out of it. But we had it out, we were doing somebody's uh, property, and because we were also talking to the family, John plugged it directly into a digital recorder so that we wouldn't have to to hear it. It could still scan, but we wouldn't have to hear it. And when I went and listened back to it a couple of days later, it very clearly, very clearly in the same voice said Clark, which is our last name, followed by last name, followed by John, followed by Celia.
0: But not all in the same voice,
1: no, 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 John and Celia were a woman's voice, and Clark and last name were a man's voice, and that that got me thinking a little bit because that yeah. that was like a direct call out, and we weren't we had that thing plugged into the recorder, it was in the truck while we were we were off with the family we weren't even uh we weren't even yeah. near it or anything so but it's it's very loud, it's very clunky for me. It's, it's uh,
0: agitating, irritating yeah. sound to hear that. It is irritating. Sound yeah. yeah.
1: I like my digital recorder.
2: The thing for me is important when I'm investigating is, like, for example, like let's, like, let's let's talk about REM pods for a second. So REM pods here lately, especially the last couple of years, um, people are less and less enamored with them because they, too, can be contaminated. Mm-hmm. Um they can go off when certain other things have other electronics are around them. Right. So, but with that said, I'm not as, I'm not as, uh, I don't dislike REM pods as much as I dislike K2 meters. Um, REM pods are a little bit harder to, to make go off. So, with that being said, if I'm going to use a REM pod, I get a lot more comfortable saying something might be paranormal. If I can get some direct responses from right. Red Pods to go off on command, make it go off three times, and the thing blitz three times, and if I see patterns, if I see patterns, I, and again, speaking of patterns, the same thing with flashlight conversations.
1: I'm, I'm not even sure I understand how those are supposed to work.
2: <laughs> well, people use the mag lights and they set them to where it's like right in between, like not on and on. Um, so I have to see. I have to get some real, real consistent mm-hmm.
0: direct responses from from like REM pods or flashlights. I, I'm not familiar with that. So what you're saying is basically the switch is not quite made. It's like on the verge of turning on the light, but it's not quite. Do you know how a mag light, you know what a mag light is? Sure. Okay. So the mag light, it's a twist kind. You twist it until it comes on. Oh, uh, yeah.
2: Okay. You know, you know what I'm saying? The small one, the
0: mini mag. Mm-hmm. Well, even the longer ones. So there's, there's 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 regular size mag lights too. There's mini mags and then there's the large size too. But some have buttons and some don't have a button. There is the
2: push button kind, but most people use the mag light that you have to twist it to turn on and off. Oh, okay. So they twist it so that so when they set it, they set it right like like they just just maybe like one click from it being off. I gotcha. And so, so obviously, if you jump up and down, it might set it off, right? Right. Or if the room
0: temperature comes up, the filament expands, right? So that can makes it on. contact and turn it on. Yeah. That's
2: right. That's right. So I'm only interested in direct responses. Like, if, like if you're going to use one of those, I need to, I need to see like seven or eight direct responses. Like, hey, make it turn. Can you turn on three times in a row and it turns on three times in a row? Right. All right. Can you make it go off now and then it goes off? Then sorry, can you turn it on four times? And it turns on four
0: times. That makes now a lot got, of sense. Now you got
2: my attention a little bit more. You know, I could have seen some patterns of direct responses. But I don't get excited just because one just randomly comes on, yeah. you know, and there shuts off. It just doesn't do nothing for me. See, I like this guy.
1: <laughs> what you're talking about is his true investigation.
2: Absolutely. And there's a lot of uh there's a lot of really good investigators in this field. I, I learned some things from one of the best of all time, Steve Gonzalves. Our director, of course, he was with Ghost Hunters, Tats, for mm-hmm. many, many years, and I was with Ghost Nation. And Steve taught me some things and, and educated me on a lot of things that I didn't know. That I'm very, very grateful that I that I know now. It's made me twenty times the investigator that I ever was. That's awesome.
1: I, I've said this on on past interviews, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, I love that crew above and beyond any other yeah. any other quote unquote famous crew. Because their yeah. approach is skeptical.
2: One of the reasons we asked Steve to come down, because Steve's reputation as uh, this whole time on mm-hmm. Ghost Hunters and now on Ghost Nation, Steve's a tough sell. A lot of people don't realize Steve's got some skeptic blood in him.
1: Oh, yeah, he does. He's just not,
2: you know, you're not just going to get, you know, get Steve to say it's a ghost. I mean, you got to really, we have a thing, you know, that we call the Steve filter throughout the filming process of The (laughs) House in Between. Many, many times in conversation, we would say, all right, man, well, we'll send it to Steve. But I don't think it's gonna pass the Steve filter, you know, because Steve will Steve will look at it for like a millisecond, and say, "Nope, that's crap," and we were like, "All right, throw that away," you know. <laughs> you know so, so yeah, Steve was perfect for it to come down and and so honored. I'm so honored to, to have worked with him in this film. Yeah, he he's phenomenal. Once you know, you, you attach his name, it's instant credibility because everybody knows him knows how
0: credible he is.
1: Well, he doesn't BS, and and he doesn't go out no. of his way to make something look like...
0: Right, something that isn't look no, like no something smoke that and mirrors. is.
1: There's no right. smoke and mirrors in there. It's, right. And I, tell me to cut this out if I'm not supposed to say this, but him bringing in the scientific aspect during this documentary mm-hmm. I thought was fantastic.
2: It was brilliant. Yeah. It was brilliant. It was something that was important to me, too. Um, I think the fact that Steve wanted to go science as hard as he did was genius because first of all, we need skeptics in this field because skeptics filter out a lot of the bull crab. It keeps people on their toes. There are some people in this field that aren't so great and they will purposely come up with some bull crap and fake, fake things. You know what I mean? And so we need to have skeptics. And so for Steve to come in, and really press hard on the science part of this thing. It, it first of all, it satisfies a skeptic's thirst. You know what I mean? Because skeptics, they don't want to see a one-dimensional, you know, just all paranormal. It's definitely a ghost kind of film. No, skeptics really appreciated it. And so some of the reviews that we got were from skeptics were fantastic reviews because they were like, finally we have a film that really looked at the science and this could be something that's happening. You know, some of the things that are happening there could be explained by, by, you know, through science. That's why we brought in two physicists. One of them was Michael Denon, who's a skeptic and he's a regular on the TV show, ancient aliens. I'm not sure if you watch the show ancient aliens, but Michael Denon's on that show all the time. And he's the guy that that show would bring in, you know, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with Ancient Aliens or not, but it's they, they really focus on the pyramids and and how they believe the UFOs, extraterrestrials had a big um, say and, and 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 they helped the Egyptians build the pyramids. And so I have seen some of that. They would so they would go to Michael Dunning and Michael they like, eh, go, wait a second, you know, let's give the Egyptians more credit. You know, I don't think aliens had anything to do with helping them build the pyramids. Um, and then he would he would go into his physics thing, and so he you know having Michael Denon in our film was really really good. I mean, because he talks about the science, like you know things moving, what well, well, you have to have an action, you have to have an action, a physics a physics action for something to move, you know. So what triggered that action? And and so you know then we had the physicist from Jackson State, uh, Dr. Dye. Um, and he talked about if you saw the film, he talked about you know. You know, he well, It sure wasn't an earthquake that made that come down the steps. You know, stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, he was so, so yeah, cool. it was great to have the science. Yeah, was, he was. So yeah, I thought it was a brilliant move to, to go to go some science too.
1: And and I like that. You know, they went around the house. He went around the house. Steve went around the house. You guys went around the house. Mm-hmm. You 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 knocked on the stairs. You yeah. You brought in the the um, electrician. You know, just saying, look. We get it. The foundation might be off, but we're going to bring people in to check yeah. that. You went through and you systematically right. ruled things out.
0: Right. Process of elimination. Rather
1: than just assuming.
0: Process of elimination. Yeah. So
2: one thing that's interesting now, the thing with Steve in the film, if you remember, when he wanted to punch the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. So you got to keep in mind, Steve's reputation is very, very important to him. Extremely important to him because he's built that reputation over you know a decade, over a decade in the field. And he wanted to make sure if he's gonna if he's gonna be involved in a project like this, he was gonna make damn sure that we weren't pulling his leg and we weren't fixing things to move.
0: And, of course.
2: Um. So so that was you know he really thoroughly made sure there was no fraud, there was no bull crap before he's gonna stamp his name to it and put his face in there. You know. So that was that was great though because it just lends more credibility to what's happening in there. I,
1: I will say. If you're watching the documentary and you're thinking to yourself, this whole thing is just bullshit, they're making it up, the last 10 minutes, and I won't say what,
0: I won't say what, I promise no spoilers. <laughs> we all, yeah. But yeah. the
1: expression on yeah. all your alls faces, the oh, last yeah. 10 minutes. You was can't make that shit up as they priceless. say. Priceless. <laughs> hey, you just cussed yeah, on man. my podcast.
0: You did before me.
1: I never cuss. I don't know
0: what yes. you're talking about. That's all right. No, I'm, 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 a, I'm a New York sailor
2: man, so those <laughs> cusses will come out of me too sometimes. No, yeah, the ending was fantastic. We won't go into spoilers with that. So yeah, everybody but it's definitely a must watch. Film.
0: Everybody definitely it's must watch. <laughs>
2: And believe me, you saw You saw I was there. So I the, the the adrenaline
0: was like. Oh, I can only imagine.
1: <laughs> we we were laughing because because it was familiar, right? Yeah. When you're doing an investigation, that happens just like that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yep. The hairs come up on arms, and the
0: eyeballs pop out. Yeah. And, and things get a little chaotic. Like yeah, things get chaotic. Yes. Like, how do I operate this thing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now here's what's funny. You know
2: what's funny? What I tell you, what's really funny is like, and again, we're, we're going to talk about this without talking about this. So <laughs> yeah. us, us, so us three, we seen the film. So you saw the body language, right? Of oh yeah, when that when that happened. Oh yes. So don't forget. So you saw the body language of Steve and Kendall. Keep in mind, Kendall. I'm not, I'm not sure if y'all know this or not, but Kendall Welton, the director, he, he also directed the film with, with Steve. Kendall was the cameraman for Ghost Hunters on Sci-Fi Channel for every season.
1: Is that where I know his name from?
2: So when you see, when you watch the old Ghost Hunter Tat shows, the Sci-Fi Channel version of Ghost, not the reboot, the the, the mm-hmm. No, no. Every episode you see, you're looking through Kendall's lens. Kendall is the camera guy. So keep in mind, so Steve and Kendall, they've, they've investigated the most haunted locations in North America, Right. So yeah. you know some shit went down for them to have those, that kind of body. Language. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. you, 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 know, you know what I mean? So that was great about it. That,
1: that I mean, the whole documentary from start to finish was 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 really good, right? It was interesting. It was to the point. It didn't overblow things. It didn't make things very campy. Uh, it was very believable, right? Just Just like it should have been. But those last ten minutes, yeah. man, they really yeah. they really made it. So if you're watching the documentary, yeah, man. don't don't get up and go to the bathroom or get popcorn or anything the last ten minutes. Of
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And while I'm thinking about it, I wanna I I wanna give a couple quick shout outs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please do. The reason why this film's as good as it is, as great as it is, first of all, of course, Steve Steve Gonzales. He, he he was the big boss. And the, and, the, and the, him and Kendall directed the film. The two directors are Kendall Welton and Steven Zales. And Kendall also did a lot of the camera work. The, the, the cinematography um, is brilliant. And G, Ken, Kendall's a genius with a camera. Yeah, he's a genius. I mean, the genius with the, with the optics and the angles and the lighting. Um, and shout out to Corey Frost. Now, people don't a lot of people don't know this about the editor of the film, Corey Frost. Corey Frost is an Emmy Award nominee.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. He
2: was, he was nominated for an Emmy Award that he did for a sports documentary before Our Project, um, and he recently just finished doing the editing and working with the new Shaquille O'Neal reality TV show. Um, so, so, so Corey Frost is also genius level when it comes to editing, and also Vera Welton, Kendall's wife. Uh-huh. Vera Welton played a huge part behind the scenes putting this film together for us and producing. Um, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Kendall's wife, Vera, was on the TV show Ghost Hunters Academy. Do you remember when they had the Ghost Hunter Academy shows?
1: I heard about it. I, I never actually watched it. I confess I never actually watched Ghost Hunters Academy.
2: It was it was a spinoff from Ghost Hunters and they had Steve did a show where him and uh, Dave Tango were, were the were the two guys and everybody would, the contestants would come in and and. and they would do investigations, and then the winner would be on, would make the TAPS team, would be on the Ghost Hunter show, and so Vera was one of the contestants, and 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 then and then uh, Kendall was the camera guy, so he he fell in love with her, and and Aww. they married her, and they have, and they have a great they have a great family now, and so Vera Welton was a big big part of making the film from behind the scenes, and so I wanted to shout them guys out, the the, the everybody else, the whole team was great.
1: And and I'm gonna just throw this out there. If any of you all wanna come and sit with us and chit chat on our podcast, you're more than welcome. Brad can hook you up.
0: Yeah. We Great. we would love
1: yep. to have you just drop on in and say hi and
0: we would go from there. We'll make it happen.
1: We'll make it happen, yeah.
2: Beautiful.
1: A- any any uh upcoming things, Mr. Cooney?
2: For me personally? Mm-hmm.
1: Now now's your time to shout it out. <laughs>
2: I always have I always have things in the works. My podcast show, um, bradcooney.com dot com is my podcast show, and um, I interview all different. I mean, I've interviewed rock bands and and NASA astronauts, and I interviewed the guy that built the rover that's on Mars, the one the, the computer that's on Mars. Um, SETI personnel. Oh, cool, man! I do. I I have a um, I worked with the TV show on NBC called The Voice, the singing show. Oh yeah. Uh, I've been been working with them for nine seasons, and I'm working with NBC, World of Dance, a new show. I'm doing podcasts Mm -hmm. for them. This is my second season with them. Um, So, yeah, the podcast show keeps me really busy. Of course, The House in Between, the film is out. Um, It's it's in 26 different streaming platforms and Amazon Prime and um, Dish. There's a ton of them
0: everywhere I can.
1: not It's ranked pretty high, right? It's hang- it's ring.
2: Oh yeah, it's doing. It's still burn. It's still burning up in some categories in the charts. I mean, it's 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 really. I mean, we're seven weeks from out from from the release date, and we're still charting. So it's got some good stay power, which we're re- really excited about. Good deal.
1: Well, in all fairness, so, yeah. I did watch it four times. So.
2: <laughs> you know what's really cool? A lot of people tell us that they've been repeat watchers. They've watched it three or four times. Well, you that, catch different great.
1: things every time you watch it.
2: Yep. it's definitely
1: worth, it's worth it to watch it once. It's worth it to watch it twice. Uh, I can't say that enough.
2: Well, thanks man. We appreciate it. It was, it was a journey. That's for sure. I'm sure.
1: How's Alice holding, holding up? She doing okay?
2: Yeah. Alice is good. Um, I just talked to her a little while ago. In fact, she's, she's doing good. Doing her thing. Everybody, everybody's pretty much, uh, you know, after you do it, you know, it took us over two years to film it from A to Z to get it finished. And, um, so then, of course, we released on May 5th it, to the whole world, and and a lot of things changed since then because now the whole world knows about it. <laughs> and um, but but we kind of went back to our our lives. Um, um, but we continue because we still have answers um, to chase, and um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. There there's uh, there is some interest to want to do a second one. That was my next question. You
0: beat me to it. <laughs> yep, it,
2: yep. I knew that was coming, so, so I figured I get out in front of it. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't know a hundred percent. You know what, what's going to happen with that, but there is certainly—I'll say this—there's certainly a lot of interest from the viewers for a second one, mm-hmm. um, and and there is some talks of possibly, you know, from the team to do a second one. We just don't know yet. It's, a, it's early, sure, um, and that's something I'm sure will be discussed in, in the weeks and months to come. So we'll find out, what we'll
1: see. Will you keep us up to date?
0: Of course. I'll come back.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you.
0: Yeah, we'd love that.
1: And I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your crazy, crazy schedule. I've seen your schedule. It's really crazy. <laughs> <So I'm, laughs> yeah, it's nuts. I, I appreciate you coming and spending some time with us little crazy cat people uh, and, and letting us into your world just a little bit.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me. I had a lot of fun. And I'll, I'll be glad to come back anytime. We look forward to it.
1: Remember you said that. I'm holding you to it. Hold me
0: to it. Hold me to it. All <laughs> to it. Alrighty.
1: Thanks a lot, Brad.
0: All right. You have a good yeah, night. You're welcome. Good night.